all you beautiful people and welcome to the Glorious in the Mundane podcast. I'm your host, Christy Knuckles. I will admit that it's been a minute, but that it's great to be back with you for a few episodes this fall. I know for many of you, you're having to, whether you like it or not, settle back into a routine with school getting back into session. I know that some of you are probably kicking and screaming and others of you, it couldn't have come fast enough. Wherever you find yourself today, I do pray a sense of peace as we all move towards the changing of a season together. For some of us, it's gonna come quicker than we even know, and we were reminded of that a few weeks ago as we did our Christmas tour photo shoot in August. And on top of that, it fell on a week that happened to be hitting almost 100 degree temperatures around here. We were sweating in our sweaters to say, the least. (laughs) Our family has had a very busy summer. I can't decide actually if busy is the right word. It was more like full. It's just been a full summer. I've told you this before, but we have Father's Day, Nathan's birthday, our anniversary, and Annie Rose's birthday all crammed into the month of June. So many wonderful things all together at once. And trying to make each one of those things uniquely special is kind of next to impossible, (laughs) as hard as I try. Nathan and I usually just try to make sure that Annie Rose's birthday is special, and we kind of start there and we work backwards. I know that we need to make our anniversary special, and we're working on that. Thankfully, this year it fell right as we landed back at Lost Valley Ranch in Colorado together for our family vacation. So on our anniversary, we did have a dinner hall full of sweet friends sing happy anniversary to us, and then they brought out a cake in our honor to top off a wonderful dinner we got to enjoy, plus, of course, a week of getting to be out in God's creation together, riding horses for several hours a day. I've told you before. It's just a priceless treasure to our family, and we never take it for granted. It was a beautiful time. In July, our family, at least the majority of us for most of July, spent time at the beach serving for Blue Skies Ministries. It's the organization that I've shared before that provides free beach retreats for families battling pediatric cancer. And we've spent a week with Blue Skies for the last six or seven years, but I've never spent multiple weeks with them. So this summer, we decided to try three retreats back to back. And I have to say that I loved it. I'm such a homebody. You know this about me. So I was really afraid that about a week and a half in, I was going to be really sick of the beach. (laughs) But I think since we've had so many sweet memories in this little community and with this precious organization, we just felt at home. I was really thankful for it. The beach house that we have stayed in at Blue Skies for the last three years is the house where Nathan and I wrote most of the songs for Be Held, Lullabies for the Beloved. So as you can imagine, we have a bit of a soft spot in our hearts for this house and that little community. But I was so excited this year to extend the invitation to the patrons of my podcast on Patreon. And we had several show up to volunteer. So that was so fun to get to know them and to also, of course, watch them fall in love with Blue Skies and the families there. And then for them to get to know each other as they served together, they became fast friends and I think lifelong friends with each other. So that was such a fun thing. I think what I'm reminded of and so encouraged in getting to serve at Blue Skies is simply the power of small, that God can work powerfully in the small and even unseen things that we're a part of in our mundane. I know that summer feels like that for a lot of us. It's just kind of you unplug. So there's kind of all these unseen moments, these memories that we make. And I admit, you know, that at first, small things can feel just that. It's small and sometimes even unimportant. But let's be encouraged together that God is in the small things today. He's in the conversation with your kids to and from school today. He's in that phone call that you choose to have today rather than a text. But He's also in the text you choose to send to check in on someone and maybe just say, I'm praying for you. When you're tempted to think that what's in front of you today is meaningless and small, I want to encourage you that God is on the move in His people his people who embody his precious son, Jesus. And he can do great and wonderful things in and through you today if you'll look to him, if you'll set your affections on him, put your complete trust in him for all that you need today and all that's in front of you today, even the smallest of things. As you can imagine, the families that come to Blue Skies, many of them are in their darkest hour. Several of the families with kids in treatment this summer had already been given the heavy words from the doctors, the ones that we'd all crush underneath the weight of, there's nothing more we can do. 
In fact, a precious little 12-year-old girl named Taryn that we got to help host the first week we were there, the week she went home from Blue Skies, she pretty much went straight into hospice care. And by the third week of our retreats at Blue Skies, we got the unbelievable news that Taryn had passed away. We were stunned. As you can imagine, it's hard to fathom that this little girl that you got to watch build sandcastles and swim and splash in the pool, she was gone just like that. I couldn't help but be so taken back by what a privilege it was to get to sing the love of Jesus over her during the last week that she was really alive, to get to comfort her with the truth of God's Word and even with the lullabies, lullabies that we wrote in that very place three years ago. Talk about the power of small, that songs of peace, little songs of peace and truth and deliverance could be birthed in the front living room of a beach house on a forgotten coast somewhere, songs that would one day be the last songs on a little girl's lips before she passed away from this life, to get to pull her family close that week, to pray and ask God for healing, to pray and ask God for comfort, to believe on their behalf that hope could be kept alive for one more day, to love people just right where they are. We met several families this summer, and of course their children, that will simply never forget. I had the privilege of getting to sit with a mother named Brittany over dinner one night and to have her tell me her story. Her son Evan was born in 2015 with a very serious heart condition. He basically had a hole in his heart, as well as some other very serious medical problems that he would have to have multiple surgeries to repair. On top of that, in 2017, if you can even fathom this, Evan was diagnosed with neuroblastoma, which is a very rare and actually very dangerous form of pediatric cancer. But for the past few years, this little boy, and therefore his family, has been through unimaginable suffering as he's endured medical procedures and tests and surgeries. And as you can imagine, his mama is worn out. And after dinner that night, my friend Melinda, who started Blue Skies, invited me to come over and pray with Brittany As all the other families and the kids cleared the dining hall, they all headed outside for a pool party. The three of us just sat together at the end of the table, first just in silence. Brittany had kind of had her hands in her lap, and she was leaned over where her chest was just pressed against the table, and she just sort of stared straight ahead in silence. I don't really feel the liberty to be able to share what she shared with us in those moments, but I can tell you this, there was something so holy about that moment. Melinda's eyes were flooding tears, and I just kind of sat there quiet with my arm on Brittany's arm, and the three of us just sat there in companionable silence, just holding the pain together, hopefully holding some of it on Brittany's behalf, we hoped. But at some point after a long time of just sitting there quietly with each other, I just broke the silence and just went to the Father on her behalf, the one who is our only hope in this life, and I asked Him to come and comfort Brittany to lift her burdens in that moment somehow, to show himself strong to Evan and to their family. I prayed for a miracle in that seemingly small moment on a summer night on a forgotten coast. But I have to believe it was a seen and not forgotten and even a huge moment in God's kingdom. The day that Brittany and her boys headed home, there were several people around the car helping her load everything up, and I took a moment to help buckle Evan into his booster seat. Evan is actually nonverbal, but oh my goodness, he has brown eyes that could cut through your heart and a little smile that can light up the room. I asked him in that moment if he wanted to ask Jesus together to come and heal his little body, and he smiled back at me, and he shook his head yes to me. So we did. We prayed while I buckled him in for Jesus to come and touch him and clear his body of all the cancer. And then I started singing the Armor of God song over him. And with his righteousness across your chest, salvation for your head, the belt of truth around you now, with a shield of faith in hand. And with His peace upon your feet, everywhere you go, His Word will be the sword you keep and your covered head to toe. I have to believe that God heard us in that moment and that He saw us and that it mattered. 
Well, upon our arrival home, I basically spent about two weeks dealing with about five or six ailments in my body, no joke, none of which that I want to talk about right now, (laughs) and none of which I was really telling anyone around me the full story on. All I can make of it is that the enemy was good and mad over some moments that I had gotten to partake in. Seemingly small and unseen, yes, but I believe keys to the kingdom type moments that cut through the present darkness and open the light of Jesus onto everything around us, even buckling up a toddler in his booster seat. We can invite Jesus into that. It makes me think about you where you are today, embracing these kind of powerful moments every day. Maybe it's you choosing to have that conversation we talked about before that you know you need to have with your kids maybe on the way home from school today. Maybe it's a coworker on a lunch break. Maybe it's choosing to pray out loud in the car over your family or your friends or your coworkers as you go about your day today, your errands. Maybe it's a small but unseen coffee date that you have with a friend that's going to possibly change the trajectory of her life. I wonder what the enemy is going to get good and mad at in your own life today. I wonder what kind of ailments or distractions have been coming at you to get you to want to throw in the towel. All that to say it should indicate that you're on the right trail. A very narrow trail, yes, but one that leads to the kind of life that Jesus gives. Well, I guess I'd been kind of holding in the weight of some of those moments since July. Not moments from a stage somewhere with a lot of lights and smoke when it seems certain that God is moving, but really just raw and real moments that you have to choose to believe in that moment that God is really working, that God really cares about what you're experiencing and what the people around you are experiencing. I guess it was a combination of all those things that landed me late one night in the shower, just absolutely heaving, crying. Not only because I didn't know what was going on in my body, and that night culminated into literally feeling like I was almost dying, which ended up probably being the UTI that I didn't know I had. But as the weight of my worries just quickly turned into sobs, I started crying out to God, like literally crying out in the shower. And I surprised myself as the first thing out of my mouth was praying over sweet Taryn's mom, the mama of the little girl who was at Blue Skies one week and then gone in only a matter of days. She lost her baby girl. What must that feel like? I'd been a little bit numb up until that point that we witnessed the last days of a little girl's life. Eternity felt like it was just behind a thin veil somewhere. I started praying over Brittany, who at the time had gotten not great news about Evan's scans when they got home, which, praise the Lord, he's gotten some much better news since then. But I realized that I had been holding in the enormity of these things for a few weeks. It was like I'd become a pressure cooker in a way. I didn't feel the need to be on for those families at Blue Skies or try to hold myself together. I just think in the moment I trusted that God was allowing me to be a person of peace in that place, a countenance of hope, a voice of clarity and calm, someone to sing over troubled souls. I guess at some point I needed to decompress from holding the weight of it all. My buddy Melinda, who who started Blue Skies, I told you, you know, she cries every day at these retreats. She literally weeps with the families. And now looking back on it, that's probably more the way to go, to just weep with those who weep right on the spot, to ask God to just let it flow on a daily basis like Melinda. But whether you let it flow or whether you just scream it out once a month in the shower, the point is... We have a place to go with all the weight, with all the pain. We have a place to break apart and be held together. When we don't understand why God would allow people to endure such pain, we can take those questions to God and wrestle with Him on it. My son and I just had this conversation the other day because Noah interned at Blue Skies this summer, and I could tell that he kind of had his own breaking underneath the weight of what those families are going through. At the retreats, for the most part, everything feels light and free because, after all, it's our job to help lift those families above the clouds of childhood cancer to nothing but blue skies. But then the reality sinks in. And Noah, of course, asked me, why do people have to go through things like that? It's a tough question, one that even has believers leaving the faith. The only answer that I could come up with in the moment was, It just has to mean that there's life beyond this life. It has to mean that there's more to life than life on planet Earth. It has to mean that we keep our eyes on the reality of eternity, even as we live in our mundane moments. When I started planning 
These fall episodes, they didn't seem to really fit with season three, nor did I really feel like this was supposed to be the beginning of season four, which I know y'all aren't really paying attention to season this and that. But I realize I'm sort of in this middle moment. I haven't talked publicly much about the fact that I'm writing a book. I've kept my patrons updated on that journey, but I've hesitated in broadcasting the news to the world because deadlines get moved, as you know, and things get shifted. I'm working on it, but waiting along with the working, and as that takes shape, it's taken a lot out of me as it's taking shape, but it's led me to ask myself the question, what's the message in the middle? Yes, there's a message in a book that's to release somewhere down the pipe, but I can't stay bottled up like a pressure cooker, building steam up until then. So I've been asking myself, what's the message that God wants me to breathe in right now? Breathe in and out today. Well, sometimes life's best answers are questions, aren't they? This, of course, got me going down the trail of what's the message in the middle for all of us. If life is about eternity, it feels like more than ever that we are all caught in this place of trying desperately to live purposefully inside of what is as we wait for what is to come. What's the message in the middle of our waiting as the people of God? If Jesus continues to tarry, what message do we hold on to in the middle? If you're like me, I'm grieving on the inside with all that I'm seeing around me. It feels like a free-for-all, even in the places of the church. We have famous Christians renouncing their faith. We have people who are acting irresponsibly with their questions, using them as a source of confusion and chaos rather than a means of worship and wrestling. The truth is the church worldwide has been wrestling with every hard question there is since the very beginning. So there will be questions always. But what if our questions are there to lead us to wrestle with God, as in that form of intimacy that we've talked about before? What if they could lead us to posture our hearts more in worship, to be able to pause and say, I don't know these answers to these things, God, but I look to you today and trust that you do and that you are good and that your love endures forever. I wrote that phrase out last week in my journal, your love endures forever. And I couldn't take my eyes off of that word, endures. I did a little word search on it, and here's some things that came up. Endure, to suffer patiently, to last, to abide, to remain, to stay, to continue in the same state, to stay firm under misfortune without yielding, to undergo, especially without giving in, to bear, to sustain without breaking, endure. I did a word search in Scripture, and I was surprised at how many times it is mentioned, especially in the New Testament, as this charge and exhortation to the church to endure. I believe this was God's answer to me. The message in the middle is endure. The message in the middle is suffer patiently, abide, remain, stay, undergo without giving in, sustain without breaking. You there, church, endure. This is who we are. Colossians 1.11 says, May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints and light. So we are strengthened by His glorious might and have been qualified by the Father to share in the inheritance of Jesus. If we follow this theory that some of life's best answers are sometimes questions, then we might wonder together today, how do we endure? In a culture like ours, in times like these, in an age of more confusion and chaos than we've ever known or seen, yeah, we might not be living in the midst of an actual civil war, but we're living in a war, no doubt. This war is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's Ephesians 6.12. This is a war where we have to take up the whole armor of God that we may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm, to endure. Verse 10 says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. It doesn't say be strong in and of ourselves or conjure up some kind of strength for your own might. It says be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. We are urged twice in this passage to put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to withstand in the evil day 
and having done all to stand firm. Then it says in verse 14, stand therefore having fastened the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints. That word supplication just simply means the act of communicating with deity. Talk about the glorious and the mundane. This is good news all over again for us today because we are feeling this world, no doubt, start to wither. Every single one of us, whether we've been able to articulate it or not, we're sensing the weight of the withering. The other night, we took our three kids to see a movie, and it was actually the hours before I found myself crying out to God in the shower. I was in physical distress on the way to the movie to the point where I was having a hard time being in the moment and being able to relax enough to go in and sit and enjoy a movie. But as we got out of the car, I just reached out to Nathan and the kids in the parking lot, and I asked if they would pray over me. I wondered kind of to myself if the kids would feel embarrassed in that moment of me asking that as potentially people were just all around us walking by. But they all three hovered in faster than I could almost say the word. In fact, as I did that, Noah asked in that moment also, he's like, while you're at it, will you pray over me for something I'm going through? So the five of us in the parking lot of this movie theater huddled up as a family. We're like in a family hug next to Nathan's truck, calling on Jesus together. The kids weren't embarrassed. In fact, it was as if they were craving it. They huddled up as soon as I asked. They're feeling it. They want to be led. They need a huddle. They need to know how to endure in this withering world. I think about this charge to put on the whole armor of God, salvation, truth, righteousness, the peace of the gospel, shield of faith, the sword of the Spirit. This is how we endure. But this isn't us like forming weapons for warfare. This is us covering ourselves in the ones that have already been made for us. This is us covering ourselves in the one who endures forever. This is us covering ourselves in the one who endures forever. This is us coming up underneath Him, submitting to Him, and being sustained by Him. This is the only thing I know to do to tell you how to endure. is to draw ever near to the one who endures forever to run to, hide in, abide in, live from who and what we know endures forever. And that's God and His Word. In fact, making His Word continually the authority over our lives. I'm hearing more and more that Christians now consider that experience, among other things, holds just as much weight as the Word of God. I'm sorry, but I'm a firm believer that our experiences actually hold up and have weight because of the authority of the Word of God over our lives. Do our experiences matter? Yes. But our experiences matter because truth matters first, because the truth of the Word of God grounds those experiences. It preps us for those experiences. It affirms those experiences, and it's expressed through our experiences. 1 Peter 1, 24-25 says, All flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and its flower falls away but the word of the Lord endures forever. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is God-breathed. It's breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Paul goes on in 2 Timothy 4 to say, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. I have to admit to you that I toyed with not even putting out any fall episodes. <laughs> I know that doesn't surprise you now that you know me, <laughs> but I've been that tired and discouraged physically, mentally, and spiritually 
So I will say that this set of fall episodes is an answer in my spirit that started in a form of that question, but sort of a response to God, kind of like this letter that Paul gave to Timothy here. He said, be ready to preach the word in and out of season. These episodes don't feel in season for me. (laughs) And trust me, I've whined about it to the Lord already, and He just keeps clearing the way, (laughs) even pushing the book schedule a little farther out than I wanted to clear space so that I have no excuse not to come face-to-face with the message in the middle. I get on social media, though not as often as I used to, but I get bombarded along with you and with so many messages. And so the last thing I want to do is send out another message. But I guess that I just take great comfort in knowing that I send no other message out to you today other than the one that's long been sent. I'm just re-presenting Jesus one more time today, even in what feels like an out-of-season moment for me. I'm answering the call, 1 Peter 3.15, to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. The only hope I have and the only hope I offer you once again is Jesus today, and it's through His very life that we endure right in the middle of a withering world. And we are able to draw near to Him today and to His Word to maybe even once again come before the Lord and just posture ourselves underneath His authority again, the authority of His Word. I can't think of a better covering that I want over my life today and to speak into my life today. My dad reminded me a few weeks ago that the Bible is the only self-authenticating book that there is. That means that as we read, we get to actually invite the actual author who breathed out all its words to come and read along with us and to speak through what he already breathed out. This makes it ancient, yes, but it also makes it alive and fresh and active in us and through us today. Well, I'm beyond thrilled to get to host my brother, Eric, and his wife, Kristen Hill, today on the podcast. You know her as Amaryllis Kristen, and I've had Eric as a guest on the podcast in the past as well. Eric and Kristen have a ministry called With You. They create resources and experiences to help us rest and remember that God is with us in the everyday moments of our lives. You can find them at withyouministries.com. You might remember that Kristen is the author of the six-week Bible study called Go and Tell No One, which is wonderful. Remember and rest in the secret and sacred. Eric and Kristen have just released their gorgeous new book called The First Breakfast. This is one that I've watched the Lord form in them over the last several years. This is a journey with Jesus and Peter through calling, brokenness, and restoration. It will take you from the Last Supper through Peter's denial of Christ, his shame, guilt, inadequacy, fear, and regret, all the way through to a morning after the resurrection, a sunrise on the Sea of Galilee full of new mercies and new commissioning as Jesus invites him and the disciples to come and have breakfast on the beach. This book is a reminder that this invitation is ours every day, to come and have breakfast. In other words, every day, come and see what God has done through Jesus. Come and be transformed and filled by His presence. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Eric and Kristen. Their book, The First Breakfast, is available now on Amazon.com. I'll talk to you soon. I'm already crying. (laughs) (laughs) We just prayed, and I'm already crying. And I've already stained the last three chapters with my tears this morning, again, of the first breakfast. Mm -hmm. A journey with Jesus and Peter through calling, brokenness, and restoration. I'm so excited for y'all, first of all, just to be celebrating this, holding it Mm -hmm. in my hands, (laughs) crying on it, (laughs) Uh, but just believing in it with you and, um, and just so thankful for your lives, the way that you've led me through the years and have shepherded and pastored. I call you pastors without all the benefits. <laughs> you're not on staff anywhere. Um, you don't get, uh, you know, the, the insurance package and all the stuff that comes along. You have to trust God with literally everything. I've watched you do that. Mm-hmm. But just you've been secretly kind of under a rock writing this message for the last really years. But mm-hmm. Definitely in the last um, year, you've been uh, working on this um, so hard and putting your heart and soul in this. And so it's just something 
to be celebrated today. So congratulations on just mm, thank you, um, thank you, releasing this to the world. And um, mm. it's called the first breakfast. And I've told you several times in text that I think the title alone is going to intrigue people. Mm. The cover photo alone, which we'll talk about later, is going to draw people in. And I just believe, even I know this. I don't want to. I don't throw this around lightly, but just. I think the title in the cover just there's it just feels like anointed like there's mm-hmm. just like a I think people will be drawn to it and just obviously well yeah as we tell that story mm-hmm. people will understand that more but just the significance of that title tell us about the first breakfast and why and that's so significant <laughs> <laughs> They're pointing to each other. Oh, no. See who's going to talk it, first. Well, first of all, thank you for having us. You've always been a cheerleader in our ears. Yeah, you know it's interesting. This is the the story of Jesus and Peter is something that we've first in our own lives kind of really marked us and transformed us. Mm-hmm. Um, as the Word of God does for all of us. And so, like with anything, it was first just something that God used to capture our hearts. And mm-hmm. so we sat with it and studied it for a long time, just just as individual followers of Christ. And then um, as we began to, to share it, and it's just the story of Jesus and Peter in Scripture is so epic and cinematic and there, it's such a winding journey that maybe more than anything we've ever talked about, it just seems to resonate so deeply with everyone. There's something in it that everybody can relate to no matter where you are in your journey mm-hmm. with Jesus. And so we began to, to study and write it. And first we, we turned it into a retreat. And so it's content that we put together and did in a retreat setting for several years. And we didn't write these stories. These are stories the great storyteller wrote in Scripture, and his heart beats for redemption and restoration. And so when we look at these stories in Scripture, they just are powerful, and they resonate with people so deeply. The first breakfast, that title, Mm -hmm. refers to the moment in John 21 when Jesus comes to the Sea of Galilee. It's a, it's a sunrise morning after the Last Supper and after Peter's denial of Christ and after the crucifixion and after the resurrection. And it's just this moment that holds the whole story of God. So the first breakfast refers to that moment, but even more, it's a picture of the Father's heart for us. Mm. Well, I love it. It's this book is like a movie sort of because the one of the most beautiful things about it is that there are gorgeous pictures it's photography all the way through it's almost like a coffee table book in and of itself and then there's just just gorgeous content but i love that in you know some great movies actually they kind of come in at the very beginning and they give you a snippet of the end and you're like whoa and then you start back at the beginning so that's kind of how this starts and I guess a lot of people may not know that Jesus actually cooked them breakfast Mm -hmm. on the beach (laughs) (laughs) that morning after the resurrection and yeah it's kind of like the fulfillment of the invitation that Jesus gives there on the beach in John 21 to come and have breakfast is the fulfillment it's a larger story it's the fulfillment of all the smaller things Mm -hmm. the very intentional relationship that he had chosen to develop with these disciples all culminated to this point and of course we all know about the last supper and after the last supper it was like you know they were singing songs and jesus is like oh yeah um before this night's through you're all going to deny me Mm -hmm. you'll all fall away but i'll i'll meet you in galilee i'll be waiting in galilee for you and peter of course why i love peter because i his desire and I, i think in he truly believed what he said. Yeah, I think he truly was absolutely. like, I will never fall away. <laughs> I will die for you. I think he meant it. Absolutely. And we see that to be true. Yeah. But Jesus knew what Peter couldn't have known. He knew that he would deny and they would all fall away. And Jesus said something there that I think in Matthew 26 we could miss too. Mm. I'll, I'll meet you on the other side of this. 
And in essence, this is the theme, the overarching theme of our of the first breakfast is Jesus was saying, my covenant is greater than your commitment. I know that your commitment, I see the desire in that, but I know that you can't keep that. Mm. But I know that my sacrifice is going to be greater. My covenant is going to be greater than that, but I'll meet you. And so I think that's what is so uh, to me, starting with that moment mm-hmm. where Jesus gives the invitation to come and have breakfast. He, he was sitting in the exact place where he first met them. So even like mm-hmm. that to mm-hmm. me, the overarching, I get chills yeah. when I think yeah. about that. Like Jesus going back to where he first met them and them kind of going, now what do we do? Well, we know, uh, let's go fishing. <laughs> and Jesus is just, you can imagine Jesus, if you just close your eyes, him just sitting there watching them, mm-hmm. just watching them toil and <laughs> flail around their boats all night trying to catch fish and they hadn't caught anything. Mm-hmm. You know how frustrating they, frustrated they yeah. probably were? Like, <laughs> have we forgotten everything? Right. And they're yeah. back in this moment and they hear this voice. And the first time we did this retreat was in <laughs> Texas with a group of, we call, call them the first breakfast club. <laughs> and I know who you are if you were there. Yeah. And we got to this moment in the retreat, and one of the guys there, when Jesus calls out to them, he's like, Children, have you caught any fish? And scripture says, They just said, No. <laughs> like, they don't know who he is yet. He hasn't, hasn't really been revealed to them. And one of the guys at the retreat was like, You know, he was just like, No. Like, who is this guy? You know, he hasn't Yahoo. been here. Like, Calling out from the shore. <laughs> They're probably even a little bit ticked off, you know, yeah, like he even asked the question, like, Who, what are you doing? And, you know, so this moment, mm. starting with that moment is just like this. It is a movie. It's this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like, um, uh, okay, I'll use a word that you, this is your terminology you use on the podcast. In, in representing these stories, yeah. the heart of God wrote there in scripture, but the way that we tried to sort of think about representing them in this way was almost in that big cinematic movie presentation. So it starts with this big epic ending. So the introduction to the book is, is the scene in John 21 and you sort of take it in with mm-hmm. all the visual wonder and the, the cinematic moments in happening in creation as the, as the moment is being set up when Jesus restores Peter. Like so many of the world's favorite stories, to fully appreciate the ending, you have to go back to the beginning. And mm-hmm. so then mm-hmm. day one is when Jesus meets Peter for the first time. And so mm-hmm. we start with the end and then go back to the beginning. And then what's really beautiful mm-hmm. is following their whole journey and you see all these amazing moments, these iconic stories we, we know in Scripture, um, and we sort of really take a close look at all that's happening, and you follow Peter's three years in the presence of Jesus, kind of look at every step along the way and everything that informs who Peter is becoming in the presence of Jesus. And, and then we make our way back to the end mm-hmm. again, But now we can see all of these amazing, intricate details, all the ways Mm -hmm. that that Jesus is using the sights and smells and sounds and places. And he's recreating all these moments Mm -hmm. in this epic way so that Peter really begins to understand his covenant love and how his covenant is greater than Peter's commitment. And so you, you end back up at this moment of the first breakfast in John 21. But then we even go on. Mm. The book ends with an epilogue, which we kind of feel like in a movie, you know, and if, if a movie starts with a flashback scene and then it, you go back to the beginning and you work here all the way through and then there's the closing scene and then like the white words come up on the screen that <laughs> sort yeah. of describe <clears throat> narratively what happens the rest of their lives. And that's what our epilogue is mm. like. You go on to see... Peter's story didn't end at the first breakfast. In so many ways, it was just the beginning. But now we get to read the words of first and second Peter, and we get to go on and see in Acts all that happened from that posture of being restored. And now we look at those words just with (laughs) such deeper meaning. And you're kind of, 
it's really so fun to see echoes of things. You're kind of like, oh, I get why you said it that way. Yeah. Because that one time y'all were here or then it, you can see the memories of having been with Jesus mm. come out in the way that Peter goes on to write. Yeah. And you see the person that Peter always was, but how he was restored and transformed and how he began to go about the work of building the church from a posture of having been with Jesus. And so it's just reframed in this amazing way. And again, that's the reason we need to read the story is because it is a picture of the Father's heart for us. Mm -hmm. And I think so often we can read Scripture and sort of take it in from like an outside looking in posture, like it's an other than me kind of thing. Like these stories are things that happened between Jesus and a bunch of guys about 2,000 years ago. And it's cool. I know we should know them, but we don't see ourselves in the story. We sort of think of these moments that happened long ago. But the truth is, is it's our story too. And all these moments that happen in scripture, these encounters and these these things we, we've always known and read, they're happening in our own lives today because the, li- the, the word of God is living and active and has the power to transform us and, and pastor us right where we are. And so maybe, you know, maybe I'm not walking on water today in the way that Peter walked to Jesus in that iconic moment we've read about, but we all have our own moments today in our very own lives where yeah. we're in this incredible step of faith, walking in a posture of surrender, going like, oh, Jesus, you're calling me out to this. And we take a step out and then maybe for a moment it's great. And then we mm-hmm. take our eyes off Jesus and then we start sinking. And it's kind of like, so of course the situations are different. The specifics are different. But the bottom line is, is that everything that happens in this big epic journey of Jesus and Peter is a representation of what is happening in our own lives as followers of Christ today. Mm-hmm. How do you think this is timely for us, especially as the like capital C church, like just mm-hmm. where you know it all began back in those days and in, in Acts, you know, and we're the continuation of that. And like, how is this so significant and timely for us right now? We should look at how the inner workings of the church through the New Testament, how how the New Testament church organically lived and with one another and served and mm-hmm. loved. That's important, but I think what's so incredible about the story of Peter and Jesus is Peter's confession of Christ. Mm-hmm. And so to think about, I think when we think about the church, kind of with a building, a church, you know, like yeah. a, with bricks and mortar and kind of like we, we think about automatically, like how's that set up? What are the systems and what are the processes and what are the, like you, you need all of those things in place. There's order and yeah. I get it. But before all that, like, who is, what, who's the cornerstone mm-hmm. of, of that? Yeah. And so Christ came to reveal he's the cornerstone of the church. Yeah. I'm the head and you get to be the body. And you just see this Jesus preparing them to yeah. be the body. But in Matthew, you know, 16, you know, it just says when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? And of course, Simon Peter speaks up, you are the Christ, the Son of the living Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you, Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So it isn't blessed are you, Peter, not not that you confessed, but it's blessed are you, Peter, that my Father revealed that to you. And this is one of the... Mm the stories Mm -hmm. in the first breakfast that we, we take all of these little moments. But when you talk about how is, why is this, how is this important to church? We have to come to this place in this point in our lives. Who do you say that he is? And I think that's the message 
to the church is if we're not saying, you are the Christ, the mm-hmm. Son of the living God, if that isn't our confession, then what is our confession? So hopefully, mm-hmm. the prayer is mm-hmm. that we remember through our own having to answer that question for ourselves mm-hmm. every day, and it's the, it's the answering the invitation, Jesus mm-hmm. of saying, every morning, come and have breakfast. And in essence, it's like a cue to say, you're the Christ. Yeah. You are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. Mm. Come and have breakfast. You are the Christ. Mm. There's this invitation and there's this response. And it's beautiful. It was timely then and it's never not time. It's just mm-hmm. like this is our confession as the church. Is yeah. If I'm that's not my confession, then something else is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so. I love it. So it's an individual <clears throat> yeah. confession. Yes. And what's powerful about our corporate gathering in that brick and mortar is that individual confession mm-hmm. and that call, that answer to that call, like you said, and I love that that's where the, the book end up, ends up going is that daily invitation of, mm-hmm. I'm with you, come and have breakfast <laughs> with me this morning. Yeah, it's, it's funny on that, in that section when they're at Caesarea Philippi and we sort of, you know, look at that moment where Peter makes that confession it's, it's fun to really sort of look at it a little bit more deeply because there's first a confession that then gives way to a calling. And it's like Peter's confession, this is who I've known you to be. This is who I now know you are. And then Jesus tells Peter who he is. Yeah. And so his confession leads to his true calling. And then we kind of talk about the beauty of like, then with this new identity comes this new name. And then with this new name comes a new mission. After Peter makes this confession, he's like, and and I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will mm-hmm. build my church. And another thing to point out there is that it's like, it is Jesus that will do the building. Yeah, And it's with Peter's confession of faith that Jesus invites Peter into this mission of building the, the church. But like you said, Eric, Jesus is the cornerstone. And Peter, the rock, was the first to make this confession of faith. But it's the foundation that all of us in the family of God, of God have, have gone on to make, the, that Jesus will build on the bedrock of all those believers who will confess their faith in him. So it's, again, it's like, it's not about Peter. It's not, yeah. it's, it's always about Jesus, who he is. He is the cornerstone. He, and it's his covenant love not our commitment to him, not the way that we build the church, but that he is building the church and he has invited us in to the mission of that from the posture of our identity in him. So it's his covenant love, not our commitment. That's, you know, that's it, right? That's it. And I I think that just with this word endure, you know, Mm -hmm. um, it's a timely thing too, because, um, I think a lot of people are tired mm-hmm. of being like I talk about a lot, like feeling like they look up and they feel like they're brick makers in the house of God and they're, mm-hmm. they're worn out. Mm-hmm. Um, we have people publicly leaving the faith. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's because we have this tendency, right? Just mm-hmm. like Peter to, um, to hustle and strive and, um, to think that it's about our commitment mm-hmm. and um, and and I love you know even just this book you said you know how Peter's words moving forward like were memories of being mm-hmm. with Jesus and I feel like y'all's um, you're <laughs> kind of the the bits you've added to the story I know you've said that you know Jesus wrote this story but there's you you've added so much pastoring you know I know mm-hmm. you've said that like even how y'all wrote it, it was mm-hmm. like, how do we pastor people through this mm-hmm. story that's already here? Mm-hmm. It's it's a lot of just sort of excavating and like, that's right. and just pastoring people through it. And I feel like this book is memories of y'all being <laughs> in the presence of Jesus in the last mm-hmm. several years. It's like your words, it's because Jesus has marked you. And I think just knowing, especially because you're my brother and sister-in-law, <laughs> I know your story and um, of being in that place of just, being weary and mm-hmm. as believers and even just 
you know, serving the church. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people are at that place of, of weariness. And so I think mm-hmm. just to interject that this is timely for that reason of just like, um, how do we endure? It's not the go-to that we think it is. It's not try harder. It's mm-hmm. not um, strive and um, hustle. It's come and have breakfast. It's this message of him just like he's, and like you even said a while ago when we were um, talking, you said, you know, the disciples, his his friends, who, who it says he loved to the end, mm-hmm. they were the first ones to have to figure out what it was going to look like to um, follow a person that wasn't there. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, he, he, he came back in those moments, and it's so treasured, and this is part of it. It's just mm-hmm. that morning in Galilee, you know, these tr- those treasured moments that they had with him to, before he ascended, and... Um, that he kept saying he's going away, and and like you said, you know, they reverted back to, well, let's just go back to fishing. I mean, what do we do? Like, yeah. mm-hmm. and they were the first ones to have to figure out what it looks like to follow a person that had ascended who went away, and yeah. but they had had time marked in mm-hmm. his presence, mm-hmm. and I think that is um, what I love so much about what you guys have just brought to this, and that you know time and um with jesus that is the transforming work Mm -hmm. and um Mm -hmm. you know i just love that uh, that's where you've um brought people kind of in this place of um what's coming to mind i guess being stirred up in me when you're talking about that is the first time jesus went out fishing with them and they caught this the biggest Mm -hmm. catch they've ever Mm -hmm. you know caught in Peter's first response in that moment wasn't to celebrate about the catch. He fell on his knees yeah. and was like, I'm not worthy. Mm-hmm. And the celebration there <laughs> is that you know, Jesus was saying, I'll, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure in that moment, they had no clue what that meant. Yeah. Like, what do you mean, fishers of men? We know how to be fishermen. Yeah. <laughs> like, what do, you, what do you mean, fishers of men? And that's the, that is the covenant, the intentional covenant love of Christ that he, number one, would choose them. Mm. So I find great comfort in that. Uh, yeah. So growing up, I was a little different when I would, would read these stories or hear these stories. I would relate to the messy part of it. Yeah. Because that's a lot of my story. It's just, I, re- I relate to like the messing up parts where I'm just like, I get that right there. Yeah, like that that's familiar, me. Yeah. That's familiar. But I would, it was almost presented in such a way. It was like, don't do that. Don't do that. Be better than Peter. And I'm like, okay, well, how do I, how do I be better than Peter? Okay. I guess I'll go on a mission trip or camp or whatever. And I'll commit that. I'll commit more. I'm going to commit God to follow you this time. It's real. <laughs> and we just see that same pattern, right? Yeah. Of Peter. of like, I will never. It's like, I'm going to meet you in Galilee because I know that (laughs) you will. And, but it's, they would not have known how to be the church had Christ not shown them Mm. how to be fishers of men. They had to be okay with his presence first. Mm. They had to be with him in his presence in the messy middle. And they had to learn by watching him. Well, it's beautiful, and I'm so excited for people to feel on the inside, you know, and not be looking on the mm-hmm. out, like from the outside in, but just that you've done a beautiful job of helping people place themselves in the story that is our story. And you've done that even just through, I'm excited for people to see, as I said before, the photographs. Mm-hmm. And I wanted you to tell the, the story of the, mm-hmm. the cover really quick because it's very significant, mm-hmm. and I want people to know... Mm-hmm. Um, about that yeah well and it's I'm glad you said that because there were just even like teeing it up it's like there were a couple of really intentional choices we made in in the way that we presented the book it's it's written in present tense so you're letting you're you're reading and letting the moments unfold with an invitation to sort of be in the moment too and then so all the images all throughout which our photographer hannah taylor just did an amazing job she she took on the great task of (laughs) of capturing these places in scripture so so when you open it up to read the story of walking on the water 
the image you see is that exact that place, you know, mm-hmm. or or the different different places along the way. But we sort of talked about we wanted the pictures to be there's not people in them, there's not modern structures, because the hope is that as you're again reading the scripture, you're able to to envision Jesus there, and and maybe even imagine what it would have been like to to be there with him and to receive and be an active participant in the story. Like that helps us better translate what these words mean to me now today. How do they apply to my life? And so anyway, that was, it's just a, but, but to, to realize that all these places that she captured in the Holy land always have 5,000 tourists standing there. And so she just, she just did a really amazing job of capturing stunningly just beautiful pictures in a way that helps set the tone for us to mm-hmm. receive this from Jesus. Yeah. The story of the cover, though. Yeah. <laughs> like she, she, Hannah had, you know, she was actually living in Jerusalem at the First time. First of all, I've known her since. Oh, we, yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, I held Hannah when she was, you know, one. <laughs> I think. Yeah. That, and she's that, in her 20s she's now. Right. So her father, her dad and I, Mike and Cookie, we, we served with them in Houston at a church for, for a long time. And those were some of the best years of our lives, but just the full circle of oh, we had pictures little of Hannah Banana. T- I mean, being, as a you know, toddler. I mean, as yeah. a toddler to now being this woman of God. So the timing of all this for her to actually be living there and working with ministry to then listen to the vision that we had mm-hmm. over hours and hours of phone, like yeah. FaceTime, like mm-hmm. calls. Um, she were, was able to capture all these beautiful images but then there was just this one that she was like i've tried several times to get this shot we were like it would be amazing like we know this would be crazy but like if you could actually build a fire right there on the sea of galilee and take it as the sunrise is coming up like right no it's like you know no No pressure no small you know no small feet there and you know sweet hannah like tried several times Mm -hmm. and and it just wasn't possible. One time it was raining or something, and one time that somebody wouldn't let her get to the spot. They had to open this gate. And well, because it's like a, it's like a, you know, a holy sacred place. Right, that, right. You know, like has mm-hmm. you now. Of course, there's a church built there, and then there's guards, and you have to kind of enter it. You can, you know, yeah. if you're talking about where this thing really actually happened once upon a time, and yeah. So yeah, it's not like you can just yeah go build a fire. Well, right? what's crazy is she had actually then moved. Right. And then what happened to be back there in Jerusalem. And she was like, okay, last call. She any literally shots was you're still missing. thinking about it. And yeah. we were like, yeah, we still, I mean, if there's any way. Well, she had just turned 25 and was able to rent a car. So we were <laughs> like, okay. She was so excited. And so we, she and a friend rented a car. So from we paid Jerusalem. for her car from Jerusalem. They drove out, camped out on the Sea of Galilee. Like in a tent. In a tent. Overnight. <laughs> Just waiting for the sun to begin to rise. And when she sent it to us, I mean, it was like, it was like, it was just like the exclamation. We were like, Lord, you are, this is crazy. I love that he just put that exclamation point. And it is just beautiful. And you can follow her at. Oh, please check her out. Anna Elizabeth Stories. Yeah. Well, thank you all so much for sharing just what this is all about because I'm so mm-hmm. excited for people to mm-hmm. go on this journey and, and you can actually um, do this in like a 40-day journey because the, the chapters are very, very short. Mm-hmm. It's not when I say 40 chapters, it's not like um, undoable. This is very doable. You could actually probably sit down in a couple of days and just go through it like a normal book or I love that you could do a 40-day journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's questions actually in the beginning yeah. that we kind of just give and say, if you want to treat it like that, if you want to treat it like a devotional, you can. Yeah. Thread these through. Thread these questions through this, but you know, it's kind of meant to just kind of be read as a, as a story, mm-hmm. as a narrative, but asking the questions however you want to do it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah. This journey with y'all, and um, thank you so much. I'm just thrilled about the first breakfast. Awesome. <laughs> thank you. Thanks. We sure love you. Love you.